Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. That is 4.08 p.m. Sunday, June the 7th, 2009. Thank you, everybody, so, so much. The dozens upon dozens of people who made them their way up to the primeval wastes of um, Mississauga. It was wonderful to have you up here. It was a really, really enjoyable uh, well, I'd like to say barbecue, but there was no barbecue. I'd like to say Saturday afternoon, but it was five days. Um, so thank you so much. We've got a couple of the conversations ready to roll. They've been posted Diamond Plus. Uh, I just did the one with Greg and Stress, which was the recent video on failure, the joy of failure, which if you haven't had a chance to check out, I would certainly check out just for the joys of seeing all my freckles in high definition really that's about as beautiful a set of pointillism as you're ever going to find this side of hell itself. So um, thank you, everybody, again, for making the trek up. We look forward to hopefully doing something around Christmas, which will be excellent. Uh, time to invent some of our own traditions, the shaving of each individual eyebrow and, of course, the inevitable tooth rotations. So just wanted to, uh, for those who came up, if you are, were at the barbecue or the Extendo Rama barbecue, that was the sandwich around the actual sandwiches. Um, if you had any thoughts or comments or questions or responses uh, to, to what happened or, or suggestions for future events, uh, if you'd like to sort of kick it now, just speak up now in case, uh, just so I can um, just, uh, uh, you know, work to improve the, uh, the user slash listener slash guest slash adherent experience. Anybody? Bueller? All right. They're probably still sleeping it off, so we can uh, we can pack that up later. We have uh, your show. As always, it is your show. So if you would like to, um, uh, to jump in with a question or a comment or a suggestion or a criticism, now would be the time. And thank you so much to somebody who suggested and posted uh, the um, uh, the need to do a sort of comprehensive response to criticisms of uh, UPB. I will try to get to that this week. An excellent, excellent idea. It's nice to have them all in one place, dare I say. That would be universally preferable. So um, I am all set for the listening. Go. It's your show. Oh, okay. Okay. So sorry. My, my internet just uh, flaked at the at the precise moment. Um, I mean, I thought, I just want to say about the barbecue, I thought everything was great. Uh, the only thing that I thought that might be helpful is not having a schedule of events or anything like that, but just sort of a list of things that we can do, uh, you know, since, I mean, I don't know Mississauga. I, I don't know that other people really know Mississauga. Uh, just sort of a, you know, a, a list of things, you know, where they are, sort of, you know, kind of how long minimum is it just to sort of get an idea of like okay well we have a couple hours let's go do this you know just the group of people smaller groups sort of split off that way that was really the only sort of feedback i had i mean and that's not that's something that you have to do exclusively of course you know i'll, I'll be happy to work with you on that no i think that's a great idea it really is uh, so um yeah um definitely noted and we'll do that for sure um Christmas will be a little more organized because, you know, it'd be nice to go skiing and stuff like that, which might require some reservations ahead of time. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, definitely the way to go. All right. If you would like to step up with some questions or comments, this is your show. I have a question um, about uh, the God of Ace. Is that be a topic we could talk about? 
Uh, yeah, you're skipping out just a little bit. Um, maybe try coming closer to your mic and make sure nothing else is running on your internet. Uh, just while we're waiting for him, The God of Atheists is a novel that I wrote oh, fairly before FDR, a couple of years before FDR. And uh, I love it. I love it. I think it's uh, very funny. I think it's uh, well-written and a good characterization, and it's free. It's an audiobook available uh, on the board as well, and you might want to check it out if you want. Just do a search in the feed uh, – sorry, in the uh, board for The God of Atheists, and there's a, a feed. If you want to listen to the audiobook or the PDF, it's free, or you can buy it from um, uh, Lulu, freedomainradio.lulu.com, I think, something like that. All right, let me just call this fellow back. And we will see how many spoilers we can come up with. Someone's asked if I've ever explained the name of the novel on the boards. I don't believe that I have. And uh, maybe we can do that after this fellow, uh, after I just dial him in. I'm just getting his number queued up. Hello. Oh, hi, it's Steph. Hey. Sorry about that. That's one of the joys of living in the... Boonies and having a satellite link. No problem at all. So, uh, so yeah, you uh, did you listen to the book or read it? I listened to it. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, tell me what you thought. I'm I'm all ears. Well, uh, yeah. First of all, I wanted to tell you it was it was just uh, it was an amazing reader. I guess listen. So I wanted to say thanks. It's uh, it's, uh, it's a very powerful work. Thank you. Um, what I was going to ask about was, uh, I've had, it was sort of an emotional reaction. I had to book and I'm not really sure to how I can explain it. It was, uh, I've been kind of irritable, a little sleepless. And so I was wanting to talk about that. Maybe you could help me track it down. You've been uh, irritable since you listened to it or was it during the listening? Uh, during. Right, okay. I, after I finished it, it's kind of faded off. But uh, while I was listening to it, it was definitely uh, definitely noticeable. Right, okay. Um, was it fairly soon after you started, or was it halfway through or near the end? Or well, I kind of gobbled it up pretty quickly. So uh, uh, I guess uh, not at the very beginning, but shortly thereafter, and for the rest of the book. Right, right. But it wasn't so irritating that you didn't want to keep going, unless you're just out and out masochistic, which, uh, you know, we might explore as well. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, it was, I was loving the book. It was just, I was, uh, you know, just kind of snappier than usual and wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't being the best I could be. So. Uh, okay, well, I'll ask a couple of questions, if you don't mind. And then um, we can see if it makes any sense. I, I, found, I sound like every bad English professor on the planet, but let me ask this question anyway. And this question is, is I'd like to open it to anybody else who's read or listened to the book. What do you think the book was about? What do you think the novel, The God of Atheists, was uh, about? Hmm. Um, I guess if I, if I had to sum it up, um, it'd be that uh, the happiness equals virtue and the reverse, or I'm uh, sorry, virtue equals happiness and uh, and the reverse was also true. 
Right. Okay. Um, is there anyone else on the call who'd like to, to chime in on that? Wow. You know, you get them together for barbecue, you can't, uh, you can't keep them quiet. You put them on a call and you can't get them to talk. Um, well, uh, yes. I mean, I think there is certainly uh, an aspect of that. Well, I mean, for me, um, what I was trying to capture was, and the reason it's called, somebody asked why the title is the title, um, I wanted to, and I'm not going to give anything away for those who are midway reading it, but I wanted to, I wanted to capture that moment in time after religion, but before philosophy. And I wanted to show the birth of philosophy uh, and the challenges that it brings to our personal relationships, particularly within the family, which is why the kids and uh, the, the, the kids who are cross-examining their society have such difficulties. Uh, the reason the novel is called The God of Atheists is that atheism is a negative position, right? To be anti-God or to be is against, against theism. And I wanted to capture that moment after religious ethics had fallen away, and there's nobody in the book who has any religious sentiment whatsoever, but before philosophy uh, is, is widely accepted. Now, of course, when I was writing the book, I had no idea FDR was down the road unless I just knew it unconsciously. But I also wanted, I wanted to show that in the absence of subjugation to religion and in the absence of subjugation to philosophy, the, the curse of humanity is vanity. Uh, that the God of atheists is themselves, if all you are is an atheist, then, but not a philosopher, then the God that you worship is your own self. In other words, your false self. And vanity is one of the things that runs through the book uh, pretty, uh, pretty powerfully, right? And uh, particularly on the part of the, the older people. So, uh, I'm sorry, you wanted to say something? Uh, no, just that I definitely, definitely saw that. that uh, it came through for me that way, too. Right. And I, I agree with you that, I mean, it was a bit of a dutiful answer that, you know, reason equals virtue equals happiness. But there's not a lot of happiness on the part of the people who are struggling to be good in this very sort of early stage of philosophy. Uh, it is it is a really tough and an ugly process, and then the kids all go through that um, with their families. So it's not I, I don't quite show the happiness aspect of it. I, I show the struggle, and I show the vacuum that values fall into in the sort of post Nietzschean "God is dead" universe. But before UPB rational philosophy and all the stuff that I worked on later, there was I wanted to catch that that moment, the top of the wave before it comes crashing down with reason and uh, evidence. Um, because the 20th century, of course, was, you know, the century of mad vanity and the substitution of human authority for God's authority, uh, which was the secular dictatorships, uh, such as Nazism and communism and fascism and so on. And again, that's, that's a, that's a big, uh, that's a big coat to hang on a little hook called a novel, The God of Atheists. But that's really what I was sort of trying to, to get at in the book. And that relationship simply cannot be satisfying if there's no truth and honesty and vulnerability and openness. And that for every generation, there is a very challenging moment in ethics. Every generation that wants to improve rather than simply re reproduce the past, there's a, a really challenging moment where you say, uh, are my parents, uh, is my society, are my elders, are my priests, are my politicians, are they good uh, people, not in what they say, because everybody knows how to talk virtue up a storm, not in what they say, but rather in what they do. And struggling to find the evidence for virtue in our elders can be a real challenge. Uh, 
at times. If we stop listening to their words and you start looking at their deeds, which is the perceptiveness that the kids are trying to bring to bear on their family, uh, that is a really huge challenge. So I would say if you feel some irritation, uh, and we won't be putting that on the reviews for the, uh, for the book, will piss you off quite a bit. Uh, then it may be that you have uh, some uneasiness about the ethics uh, of of those around you or possibly even yourself as far as honesty, vulnerability, and openness goes. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and, and that was kind of where I, I, was, I was wondering about. Of course, I, I felt a lot of kinship with, with uh, Terry. In fact, I'm pretty sure you, you watched my old company's closed-circuit TV cameras in order to write it. <laughs> right. I think, sadly, that stuff is all too similar everywhere you go. Uh, but, uh, I mean, even down to, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was very close. I mean, uh, come from a very small town. My dad was ridiculously early for everything. Um, the, uh, I sat outside the salesman's office and, and heard that uh, the almost exact speeches that, that you gave in there. So you, you definitely tapped into that character. And so that was my first uh, thought that the parallels were so close there. But, uh, you know, to, will an ex-job really bring up that sort of emotional volatility? I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, I, I would say not. Uh, I would say that it's not just that. Yeah. And do you have any kids? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, two young boys. All right. Uh, and uh, you have a, a good relationship with them? I think so. Uh, we're getting better. Um, and if they were to, uh, sorry, if they were to pursue the course, not, I mean, the kids weren't hugely realistic from that standpoint, more metaphor, the inner child stuff, but if they were to um, to ask you the questions that, uh, Alice and Sarah and Stephen asked of their parents, uh, how would you experience that? That's, that is a, a good question. I, I know that uh, uh, we've been do, trying, I've been trying to get a lot of feedback, and that was, uh, that's been a, a great innovation. And so uh, that, that does bring up a little more nervousness in me, I suppose. Okay, and nervousness about about what? In what way? Oh, just um, um, things about uh, uh, well, um, things about uh, their upbringing. Uh, I mean, the oldest one's only five, but still, that's that's, that's a lot of time, objectively. So there's. Uh, there's things that, that that I would have uh, maybe changed. Of course, uh, didn't spend as much time with them, especially when they were younger. That uh, that I spend with them now since I'm home. So there's there's questions there. So the regret, if I understand, that you didn't spend more time with your kids when they were younger. You said your oldest one is five. Is that right? Yes. Okay, and um, why didn't you spend time with them when they were younger? Oh, I was I was working and, uh, and uh, spent a lot of time at the office, so I, I can see that clearly now as I uh, 
know, that I'm, I'm home full time. What a difference that is in terms of uh, being there to, to watch things happen and to help them along. So, well, okay, but but I, sorry, if if you spend, I mean, if you were spending your time at you know strip clubs and the racing track, then that's a little more understandable. But if you say, "Well, I spend time working," I mean, man's got to work, right? <laughs> so, it's not quite the same. I can't see how that would produce. Now, if you stayed at the office rather than go home, right, then that's another issue. But if you were just working, then, you know, kids got to eat. They need roofs over their head. They need dental visits. And right. So if you were just working, I don't see how that would necessarily cause uh, uh, guilt or remorse. That's true. Um, I, I guess it's, it's, I don't feel a lot of guilt around that. Maybe, you know, uh, slight regret but not for anything I've done just because uh, it's not going to the time's not going to come again yeah I mean if, if you have to be away from your kids you regret not being able to spend time with them but uh, it's nothing that you can't explain to them uh, either at the time or when they get older and it's certainly nothing that you can't explain to yourself right mm. so that's not it right because that wouldn't cause you to feel uh, the irritation in my opinion I, I think you're right so, um, so it's possible, right, that there's other things that you regret or something else that you regret uh, that would cause the, uh, the irritation. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. There may be nothing and you may not want to talk about it, but, and, and I'm certainly happy to listen, right? And I, I think I can probably help um, uh, in that, but I certainly don't want to put you on the spot and, you know, pull it out if you like a, a tooth or something, right? So, but, but that's where I would start. All right. No, I think you're. I think you're right. That, uh, there's definitely uh, fertile ground there with uh, the generations in both directions. Right, right, and and of course, if if your eldest is five, right, I mean that's not a, a bad age to sit down and, as you say, you're trying to get more feedback, which is wonderful, and just say, what could Daddy do better? You know, what do you like about having me as a dad? What do you not like? How could I do better? Yeah, um, that's uh, something that, you know, I've never considered before FDR, so... I know, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird that we would not think of... It's weird that we would not think of asking our kids that, right? It's bizarre, really. Yeah, I mean, every other relationship, right? You get you get surveys from the newspaper, right? Every time I try to go to a website, someone pops up and asks me what my damn opinion is, right? Microsoft installation programs want to keep a log so they can get feedback on how the installation went. But when it comes to our personal relationships with our spouses to some degree, but particularly with our children, the idea of asking for, for feedback is, is it's, it's almost incomprehensible, but, but surely that's where we would start, right? If, it's, if it truly is one of the most important relationships, then it seems like that's... that's the most important to make sure we're doing it the right way. Right, because because the interesting thing is that when it comes to Microsoft or a pizza place or a website, we have options, right? And and yet with uh, uh, children, that they don't have options, right? Uh, that they are our children, right? I mean, my daughter Isabella, she she's she can't sit there and say, you know what? Uh, 
Um, I'm going to do a 360 review. I'm, I'm five and a half months old now. So, you know, let's sit down, check things off. And she's going to be like, well, you know, I don't feel satisfied with the service I'm getting from you as parents. So I'm going to crawl off and uh, get a job, right? So it's the very helplessness of children and the very dependence of children that should make us the most solicitous of their feedback and their opinions. And this is true of, of every relationship where we have power. The more power that we have in a relationship, the more we should be solicitous of feedback, right? So uh, in a marriage, like so on the first date, right, you don't have a lot of power over someone on a first date, right? Uh, but now I've been married seven years. Uh, you know, we have a, a very young a child, we have a toddler, almost toddler. She's a, a post-infant, pre-toddler, I guess, a baby. And Christina and I, uh, got our, li- our lives are sort of wound in together very tightly. And so she has a lot of power over me, and I have a lot of power over her, just by the very nature of the amount, you know, invested. Right, so dating versus marriage versus parenting, sort of like that old joke, you know, like if you owe the bank $1,000 and you can't pay it, you have a problem. If you owe the bank $100 million and you can't pay it, the bank has a problem because you have more power. And so now they have the problem. And so in the relationships where we have the most invested, we should absolutely ask for the most feedback and ensure that those relationships are going as well as humanly possible for the other person, right? Which is why I asked everyone at the barbecue and I asked it here, right? Why, what do you like? What do you not like? It's why I'm constantly pestering people for feedback and uh, reading the responses to the, like on the board and so on, because I know people have a lot invested in this philosophical conversation. I know I do. And so I want to make sure it's as excellent as possible. But in our personal relationships, for some reason, it, it, it's just not, it's not there, Right. As a, as a principle or as a practice. Yeah, that, that is, is truly amazing. So, and uh, would be baffling if not for psychology. It, yeah, it is baffling not for psychology, right. And uh, unfortunately, uh, of course, there is a principle in society, which is religion and statism, and of course, to some degree, family and parenting. There is a principle that the more power you have, the less feedback you need, Right. Like the government does things and it really doesn't ask for our feedback. You know, it'll come and lick our ear when it's time to vote and then it just takes off leaving, you know, (laughs) unpleasant things behind. But we have this idea that the more power we have, the less feedback we need. Uh, And of course, uh, children who don't want to go to church, right? That's that's their feedback. I'm bored, right? Children in school who don't want to be there, they say, I'm bored. But their feedback means nothing because the parents, the priests and the teachers and the politicians, when we're older, have all the power. So we're used to this idea that the more power you have, the more you can just impose your will and not ask for feedback. And that's really, that, that is a real principle that needs to be broken until we can understand. And that's the DRO theory, right? Is that the more power they have over us, the more feedback they're going to need. Because the only way they're going to get power over us, so to speak, is because they're satisfying. And we have the power of voluntarism uh, to offset their power. So that's uh, sort of the idea that we're working with here on, on a sort of broad number of levels. But uh, I think that's um, that's really important for you to focus on. That would be sort of the one thing that I would focus on. And the irritation is really great, right? Good for you. I mean, it's fantastic that you feel that irritation. It really is. Uh, because it means that you are recognizing that something may not be 
as ideal as it could be when it comes to your relationships. And, you know, there's great fear, right, in, in asking for feedback, especially if we haven't for a long time. But, yeah, I would sit uh, and, and, you know, say to your, uh, are, are you married? Is that right? Uh, yes. Right. So sit down with your wife and say, you know, what is it like having me as a husband? Uh, and also, what is it like having me as a co-parent? Right. That's a very, very important question to ask. And I'm, you know, I ask Christina once or twice a week, you know, how is my parenting going? Do you is there anything that you're dissatisfied about? Uh, is there anything you'd like me to do more of or less of? Uh, because that, of course, requires the ultimate teamwork to to be effective co-parents. And so I would ask just ask about all of that, get all of that feedback and then maybe you know, ask your kids uh, what their experience of you as a father is and what you can do better. And I mean, I, I just think that there, there is a way to make sure that we get what we all want out of relationships, but it does require the vulnerability of asking people, you know, what, what they like. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll just finish this up and then I'll ask a question or two if that's right with you. But, but this is what is so kind of unique about this, like what I do at FDR, right? Which is that um, you know, professors in university or whatever, they don't, teachers in colleges and, and, and schools, even private schools, you know, they're not going to the kids and saying what, what works best for you, right? They're not going to the students. They're not going to, like te- most teachers, right, uh, in this realm, the realm of philosophy and psychology, like what works best for you. But one of the reasons that uh, this business model of you hand everything out for free and beg for donations works so well is that it requires the very greatest commitment to quality on my part that that can be imagined because if i don't rip off something just freaking great at least once a week or two at best at worst then donations will dry up people will wander off and uh, find uh, a better communicator or a better you know a philosopher or whatever a better thinker but because i am so completely enslaved in a very happy way to the listeners um i'm constantly challenged to to come up with the very highest quality possible and require the greatest level of feedback that can be imagined, right? And so that, you know, the, the quality of our relationship, right, talker and listener or co-conversationalist in this example, comes entirely out of the extreme voluntarism of, of FDR, right? And so, and that's why I've said a million times, like people, oh man, you know, they're like, why does he talk so much about the family? It's like, I don't. Actually, I listen about the family because people bring up stuff, and it's about their personal relationships. So I'm market-driven. And, of course, all the free market capitalists who are academics in the world find it completely bizarre that I would actually attempt to satisfy my audience. Why? Because, well, <laughs> I don't have to go into that, right? So, but I think, I think that's the really important thing to recognize, that you can – the only way that I know of that you can have really high quality and confidence in your relationships is to continually ask for feedback and have that process of continuous improvement to take the basic principles of your average burger joint and drive through and apply it to the most important uh, aspects of your life. So that, that's it for my little speech. But does that sort of make it make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think that that's you've at least uncovered one kind of gap in the, you know, I, since hearing about this concept, you know, like I said, I've talked to my kids about you know, their experience with me. And I, I talked to my wife, of course, about time as a husband. I'm, but I don't think I've ever asked about, you know, the uh, her experiences of me as a father, which is kind of uh, interesting. So that's definitely something that, that goes on to my to-do list right away. Right, right. And and for your youngest, and I, you know, I, I, I can't ask Isabella whether she is happy to have me as a father or enjoys my parenting. But what I can do is is see if she smiles and wriggles 
and dances in mama's lap when I come into the room, right? I can see that basic binary of is she happy and excited when I come into the room, right? So when I pick her up in the morning, is she uh, nuzzly? Is she huggy? Is she – so she doesn't have language yet, but I can, I can pretty easily figure out probably even better than if she did have language, I can, I can very easily figure out whether I am a net positive in her life. Now, that doesn't mean that everything I do she loves, right? So she, she picks up something that she shouldn't pick up. I will gently take it from her hands and put it down and sort of say to her in a soothing voice why that she can't understand, but not, you know, yank it or anything like that. And when I need to, uh, uh, you know, put a sweater on her and she's fussing on the table, I can try and distract her. Uh, if she's got a hand in her mouth that I need to put through a sleeve, I can sort of slowly take it and talk to her and never pull and never yank and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like everything I do is perfectly uh, makes her delighted, but the, the you know the, the the sum right. We we all have this calculator in our minds right, which is net positive or net negative right, net good, net bad in our relationships and. Uh, that's really important, right? Whether you get the feedback or not, the feedback is accumulating one way or another. And so that's something I check every single day with Isabella, sometimes more than once, right? So if I come into the room, I will engage her with eyesight. I'll give her a big smile. Is she happy to see me? Does she, does she want to spend time with me? Does she reach for me to, to pick her up and play with her? And if so, then I know that I'm at least fulfilling the basic requirement that she wants to spend time with me and is happy to spend time with me. Um, so I think, I think that's the kind of stuff you can do with kids who are younger or to whom the question might not be easy to understand, but that would be my suggestion for, for your younger kid, uh, you know, just keep working on that net positive, net negative. How, how are your actions accumulating in his unconscious, right? Uh, everything that we do accumulates to everyone else, right? Everything that we do accumulates to everyone else, right? This is why I hammer people sometimes so hard in this conversation about, credibility and positivity, you know, just ask yourself that question. Am I a net positive to other people, right? Do they, are they better off from having interacted with me? That doesn't mean always, you know, happy and dancing, but are they better off? Are they wiser? Are they smarter? Are they deeper? Are they richer? Do they have a greater appreciation of life and truth and virtue and curiosity and empathy and vulnerability and openness and warmth and affection and love? And like, are people simply, you know, even if it's plus one out of a million, are they plus one or minus one after they interact with me? Because everything that we do accumulates. And in our personal relationships, to me, it's absolutely essential to make sure. Well, there's nothing more important than making sure that we accumulate positively in our personal relationships. Right. That's it. I promise. That's the end uh, of the speech. <laughs> does, that, does that help at all? Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. Like, and and uh, to, to tie back into the book, I mean, that's... Uh, uh, at the end, when well, I don't want to give away too much, but when the uh, the kids confront Terry about his role, that, that's kind of what they were saying: is Hey, look at your it, it was your net effect here positive? Right, right. And towards the end, uh, when Joanne is talking to Alder uh, about Stephen, right, you can see there are these tiny little things in that scene. I was very proud of that scene, very pleased with that scene. I'm not going to give anything away, but there are very little things in that scene where you can see just a few final straws going on that camel's back that causes it to break. Uh, and uh, it's the same thing uh, earlier on when, um, when he's talking about his, uh, uh, the idea, Gordon's idea, when Alder is talking about Gordon's idea to Stephen, and Stephen just listens and accumulates in that speech and what notes one tiny little detail that, that reveals the whole, the whole story. But 
yeah, the the way that we accumulate is really really important. You know, we're not like we're not like water flowing through a stream. We don't just vanish down to the sea. Everything that we do sticks, you know, like burrs. That's a great metaphor. At least I was pleased with the metaphor where um, the wife of the software entrepreneur. I sort of say something like. Um, uh, she had uh, accumulated injustices in her marriage the way that an elk accumulates burrs. And burrs are those little things that stick to elk's um, fur when they walk through the bush. And at this point in their marriage, she was much more burr than elk, right? So she'd accumulated so many more injustices in the marriage that she they, they completely dwarfed her her natural personality. And those little burrs, this is a good metaphor for me at least, because that's what happens is that you know, we're, we're either helping people or we're harming people. We're either contributing or we're exploiting, for the most part, I mean. And this goes down to even little interactions, right? So, I mean, I'll try and make a joke with a waiter, you know, if something strikes me as, as funny or whatever, and I'll, I'll be warm. And if the waiter gets really good service, I'll thank the waiter for the service, um, just because we very rarely get that kind of feedback. Hi, Fidams! He's in here. Um, she, we very rarely get that kind of feedback in life, and I think it's really, really important to uh, to try and get that feedback, to try and give that feedback uh, to people, uh, so that we come on the plus side of that ledger. Uh, and the plus can be criticism too, the honest feedback of criticizing someone. That can also be the case. So um, I think it's really, really important to be conscious of the degree that everything that we do. I mean, I'm very conscious of that. Everything that I do sticks in people's minds for better or for worse. And uh, that doesn't make me paranoid, right? Uh, wait, sorry, who was watching me? Was that you? Uh, somebody's crawling up my leg. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but that doesn't make me paranoid, but it does mean that I'm conscious of that basic reality, that everything I do sticks into the flypaper of the unconscious irrevocably. And it can take a long time. If we're sort of plus one, minus 1.1, it can take a long time for the relationship to crumble. But, uh, you know, it takes a long time to get lung cancer, right? Each little cigarette. But the important thing is to just try and be uh, to get as much positive stuff into your relationships and be a source of pleasure, joy, and wisdom for other people. Uh, that is the only way that I know of to guarantee great relationships in your life. Did I say that was my last speech? Oh, it's so hard to say. I can't believe you made me do another speech. Just kidding. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to add about that? Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry that I was, I, I, I was pretty conscious of the fact that you didn't really want to talk about the details, and I, I can obviously completely respect that. So that's why I gave you a little bit more information than asking questions. Is that still uh, the way that you feel, like you want to talk this over with your family before rambling about it on a podcast? And, and maybe so. And, yeah, it, it just because I'm... Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be useful for me to uh, work out some of those those relationships and and, uh, and see where it might be coming from. And who you knows? It, it it might be from the old job, but I think you're you're right that it, it's uh, uh, it, it's there's a good chance that there's something else there too. I'm sorry. Could you just say that last part again? That it. That it might be from the old job, but I think that you're right that there's a good chance that it might be from something more important. Right. And, I mean, if you, if you want to talk privately or anything or, or anything like that uh, about that, uh, just, just let me know. Because it's a very, very important conversation to have. And if there's anything I can do to clarify, I would be very happy to. Well, thank you very much. All right. All right. So, uh, that's good. It was nice to get some feedback. Um, just Christina came in. This fellow read The God of Atheists and found it an annoying. annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, he found it creepy how well I imitated a rich woman. <laughs> but they just don't realize I'm your bitch. 
right? So uh, it's tough for people to really understand that. <laughs> right. So um, I am a lady who lunches. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Like I said, the book was 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 great. I'm going to have to to get a, a paper version to. Yeah, to well, I appreciate that. that. If, if you think it's annoying for you, uh, just imagine how annoying it was for the people my agent submitted it to, who said, "This is wonderful. This is some of the best writing I've ever read. This is incredible. I'm never going to publish it <laughs> because this." I think a lot of people got that level of irritation and got the whiff of volunteerism within the family, which, as we know, uh, spooks people an enormous amount. And so uh, you're not alone in feeling that irritation. In fact, if more people, if fewer pe- people had felt that uh, irritation, um, A, I would never have done FDR because I'd be a novelist, and B, we wouldn't need FDR because the concept wouldn't be so creepy to people or scary. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. It was an excellent, excellent uh, observation. I can wring a compliment out of just about anything. Uh, that's really, I think that's the message you want to get. Your book's irritating. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because it's too deep for you, man. <laughs> right? I, can, I can wring a compliment out of anything. You know, if, uh, uh, if somebody is, uh, slaps me in the face, I just assume that they think I need an exfoliant so that uh, I can really get something positive out of just about every negative you could imagine. So... All right. Uh, if we would like to move on to the next comments and question, Shweetums, do you have anything that you would like to add to this conversation at this time? Do you? Do you, Shweetums? Oh, Shweetums, do we want to talk about that? Anybody? Please, Raspberry, for us. No, she's pretty quiet. She's pretty quiet today. Uh, all right. Well, if people don't have questions and, and just interrupt me if we do, we uh, uh, we made a parenting decision recently. Um, Isabella is, uh, and those who met her, I think, during the barbecue can can attest to this, uh, a completely wonderful baby during the day. She is uh, calm and 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 good natured and uh, affectionate and and uh, so on. Um, but during the night, uh, she is uh, like Freddie Mercury on a three day bender in Munich. Uh, she is uh, basically a uh, cocaine beast. Uh, she wakes up four to five to six times a night and significantly wakes up. Wow, rubbing your eyes again. Significantly wakes up. And that has been the greatest challenge of her parenting. I mean, during the day, she's a delight to parent. And during the night, uh, she is a real, uh, a real challenge. And so um, we tried uh, a little while back with the help of a sleep doula to, um, uh, to help her to, to fall asleep and stay asleep. Because what happens is she gets stimulated by something at night, either a dream or something like that, and she lacks the ability to soothe herself back to sleep. And everyone that we've talked to and all the books that we've read and a doctor and a sleep doula, a sleep specialist, uh, says that sleep uh, for uh, some babies, they have to, uh, you, have to, you have to train them. You have to train them. And... You know, we've we've tried just about everything else. Uh, we've tried feeding. We've tried getting her up to play if she's restless. We've tried swaddling. We've tried not swaddling. Um, we've tried uh, shushing. Uh, we've tried uh, walking. We've tried rocking. We've tried singing. We've tried dancing. We've tried just about everything. Uh, white noise uh, and, and so on. And unfortunately, it just wasn't uh, getting any better. So now that she's almost six months old... Uh, we, we read up and steeled ourselves, and we did, uh, I hate to say it because we really didn't want to do it, but we did. We did the cry it out. And uh, cry it out, of course, referring much more to the parents than <laughs> to the baby. <laughs> yes, we did today. She's all smiles. And, um, yeah, the cry it out is basically once they're six months or almost six months, um, 
you, you put them down to sleep and they cry and then they sleep. And that's what we did today. And uh, we've tried it twice before uh, without success. And uh, today she did 45 minutes, 50 minutes, uh, 5 minutes uh, of crying, not continual and certainly not screaming. But, you know, she was definitely not happy. Well, she beat up, it was much woe. And then she fell asleep. Yeah, she also, she, she did a Houdini breakout of a very tight swaddle. We uh, use what is the patently known method of the baby burrito, which is you really sort of wrap them tightly. And we do that because when she's not swaddled, she'll sort of wake herself up with her arms moving and so on, right? The, the alien tentacles come and wake her up, don't they, sweet abs? And um, yeah, so then she, uh, she fell asleep uh, and slept for uh, an hour and a half, woke up uh, very happy with lots of smiles. And we did it again this afternoon. And it was not five oh minutes. It was 12 minutes, which is uh, carry the four less. So that's that's very good. Less wasn't the tweet out. She's a very quick learner. Clever girl. So, yeah, so uh, we are uh, sad to have uh, come to it. But uh, it uh, after six months of uh, wretched sleep. And, and again, the wretched sleep is almost all on Christina's side. Um, I tried taking uh, Isabella. Was it Friday night? Yeah, and I got precisely two hours of sleep, uh, and uh, it was pretty pretty wretched. And it's it's also not good for Isabella to not get uh, quality sleep. So we also consulted with, uh, well, I consulted. We we took a uh, a friend of mine out. She's actually still working at the uh, the company that I co-founded back in the '90s, which is still running and chugging. And uh, she's got three kids, and uh, she's a, a good mom. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> you have to. It's uh, yeah, you have to. It's, you know, for the kids who, who don't get it. And, for, you know, some do. But um, that is, uh, uh, she really suggested it and she sent us a follow-up email and so on. And uh, so, so far, uh, it has been, it, it's, it's not at all, uh, seems to be problematic for her. She is as sunny and happy as ever. But, uh, and, and, she ate an entire bowl of and she ate an entire bowl of cereal today? Yeah. Really? Wow. Well, you know what she needs that for? The store is up all the tears. Um, wow, she ate an entire bowl of cereal. That's fantastic. Of course, we feed her nothing but frosted flakes and cocaine, so we can't figure out why there are any sleep issues. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's fantastic. An entire. And did she spit end up at all? Did you spit up sweet dams? No, because Daddy wasn't wearing something nice. So there's really no point. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Um, uh, so I hope at some point, right now I sleep in the spare room, with uh, old books and an ironing board. So basically, uh, I'm, a, I'm a steamer trunk that your grandfather left behind. That's sort of where I'm at. And uh, I hope, of course, to be able to slither back into the bedroom and resume uh, my side of the bed, which uh, seems to have recovered from me lying on it to the point where it's no longer U-shaped like an old horse. Yeah. So, uh, and, but she's still sleeping in our room. Uh, and, uh, you know, for the next couple of nights, it certainly might be a bit of a challenge, but we really do need to get her on some kind of schedule where she can get some rest at night. And we can, of course, as well, because it's really hard to to really enjoy family life when, when you're all uh, tired. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of mention that since people didn't have a lot of questions to keep y'all updated. Oh yeah, Christina had some things she wanted to say about the barbecue. Can you take them up? Just for a sec, yeah. yeah. Let me just, I'm sure you guys, I wasn't here for the introduction. I was downstairs uh, feeding Isabella and I just wanted to uh, say to everybody who came out to the barbecue that uh, we were very pleased to meet everybody and to see uh, such a wonderful turnout, and we were honored to have everybody up here. Uh, we are planning a shindig at Christmas, mm-hmm. around Christmas, either around Isabella's birthday, which is the 19th, or, or, or 
right at Christmas, but in and around uh, mid to late December. And we would love to see all of you and more people come. And, uh, you know, it is our honor and our pleasure to to have everybody come up here so that we can meet and greet and uh, share a meal and uh, have some good fun. Uh, we can't guarantee that it will be quite likely that it will be a white Christmas. And if you haven't had a white Christmas, uh, in other words, if you uh, live where it's sunny, sorry, <laughs> then you really should have a white Christmas at least once in your life. And uh, a white Christmas with a baby uh, is, uh, is fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot find the bottoms for my Santa suit, but that shouldn't be a problem for anyone. <laughs> It will contribute to the white Christmas, exactly. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> she's turned on me. I knew it. Seven years, she's turned. Remember all that power thing I was talking about before? Oh, yes. Thank you so much to those who um, posted the uh, photos from the barbecue. They were really cool to see. And uh, uh, thank you so much again to Richard for taking the videos and posting them as well. They were great. I haven't had a chance to look at all of them, but uh, thank you. Uh, someone asked how long I uh, and uh, how long until I gained certainty about my brother. Uh, it was uh, it was a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. It was certainly after Christina and I were married. Uh, he was at our wedding, and uh, it was uh, it was far down the road, years and years after uh, my mother for sure. Uh, sibling stuff is uh, right because with sibling, there's the co-victimization of both having been children. If you're in that difficult environment, of having been in that difficult environment together, so. There's a kind of natural yearning for affinity and the witnessing of crimes from somebody who was also a victim. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's complicated. Hello? Hello. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was so actually, I was just begging for calls. So no, it's my <laughs> Thank you for speaking up. <laughs> Talk to me, people. Please call me. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. <laughs> you know, it's like I felt like, so like I was in that movie, you know, sometimes your listeners just aren't that into you. you know? <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, I wanted to get your input or your um, perspective. Um, um, I'm about a year out of um, the Bifu. And wow, I can't believe it's that far out um but it's just recently that i've been getting contacted by my brother and i've been opening the letters up and thinking i can handle it but um uh i'm you know discovering the real thing is why i'm opening them and i, I think it's exactly that it's the empathy that um, we feel for the victims um, that were in the situations with us. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to kill empathy for, the, for him because he was an abuser as well. Sorry, you and say I, he, he is an abuser as well? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, go on. I sometimes don't see it that way. I I see it like he of course he doesn't know better than to be an abuser because uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that that's quite a conclusion right It is I mean I I'm not 100% um supportive of that 
I just uh, just a note for people who are listening. The moment someone says, "Of course," usually mm-hmm. the next statement is that which they have the most doubt about. Just just wanted to mention that because I noticed that within myself as well. As yeah. soon as someone's, well, of course, blah, 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 the next statement they're completely uncertain about. And that's why they use the phrase, of course. And I mean that with all affection, right? But there's no way I think that you can be certain about that because that is, um, that is a pretty big conclusion to come to. Right. I think I say that because I looked at myself as an abuser of sorts for a while and a victim at the same time. I also had a sister who refused to speak with me for years. But I think that was more along the lines of an issue of brainwashing from other family members. Um, uh, sorry, it, sorry, that, that's another conclusion, right? Um, well, we were children and... No, the, but, but brainwashing is a very, very strong phrase, right? Uh, brainwashing technically means, you know, isolation and torture and sleep deprivation and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and that- the, the strength, the strength of the, the word that you used relative to, you know, other people have tried to convince her or whatever uh, mm-hmm. indicates, again, that, that you're probably not very certain about her decision capacities or what, what decisions she made. Because otherwise you wouldn't need to use as, as strong a term, if that makes sense. Right. That term was not <coughs> Oh. I'm sorry, could you just, I just coughed, I'm sorry, could you just say that again? Right. <laughs> um, that's not my term, anyway. You know, a long time ago, you and I did um, a call, and you kept stopping me every time I went into quote-unquote story time. And they were all phrases that I had picked up from my parents, you know. Right, like, right, right. I still have that, and I still have the image of my brother as a victim and I absolutely because of course you were there when he was yeah I I always saw him as my like surrogate child and a I, I mean that was an obligation put on me but what I find interesting is a friend pointed out to me today that I perhaps looked at my brother like um, an object to project the empathy I wanted to feel for myself onto. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense because, and, and also to a degree to your sister, right? Because uh, if they're not responsible for the negative things they've done as an adult, then of course, logically, you would have to hold yourself not responsible for the negative things that you've done as an adult, but that's not how you feel about yourself, right? Oh, right. Right, because um, I'm down with UPB, as, as you know, right? So if people come to me and say, <laughs> well, uh, you know, my sister was brainwashed and my brother uh, is, uh, uh, has no choice about his victimizing others, right? Then I'd say, okay, well, then you never self-criticize, right? You, you don't feel that you've ever done anything wrong because you give this carte blanche to other people, right? But that's not the case, right? Definitely not. Right, so the zeal to forgive others uh, is... Um, uh, is a is a complicated no phenomenon, and it might be really good to do a podcast on it. But it's certainly not something that is empirically or ethically or universally derived or valid. It's not a moral principle because the people who most apply it never apply it to themselves, right? And therefore, it's not universal. Right. <clears throat> do you think? Well, 
perhaps since I'm I'm approaching absolute certainty with my own empathy. Well, I think I've had it for a while. Um, the empathy for my myself as a child, the abuse, the abused child. Um, do you think I may have some ambivalence about that, which then lets me latch onto others that I once saw as victims, and on? Um, Irresponsible, like not responsible for their abuses. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, this is a fantastic question, and, and thank you so much for bringing it up. And, and obviously, there's there's no nothing conclusive I can give you with regards to your family, but I can certainly talk about some of the philosophical principles that would be involved to to clarify that. Would that be of help? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, because before we can do the emotional work, we do need to get moral clarity on the situations, and then we can do the emotional work. The emotional work does not give people moral clarity, but moral clarity can hugely accelerate the emotional work. Oh, yeah. I think that's because you're, I think that is exactly why years of therapy did nothing for me um, prior to moral clarity and philosophy. Right, right, because uh, without the principles, the emotions go around in circles because there's too much ambivalence, and the principles are what get us out of the the death spiral of ambivalence, right? Uh, you cut out there? Uh, sorry, I was just saying that, that philosophy gets us out of the death spiral of ambivalence, right? Because you say, uh, with regards to your, to your brother, well, I remember him being a victim and I feel sympathy, but now I think of him being a victimizer and I feel angry, but then I remember him as a victim and I feel sympathy, but then I, right, you just go round and round, right? Absolutely. Right, and we all do, and, and that's, but that's psychology without philosophy is not, uh, uh, is not something that breaks us out of stuff because it remains subjective, right? So we have our emotional experience, and our emotional experience is, as you say, there's, there's love and affection and there's hatred and fear, right? I mean, if we've seen someone go from victim to abuser, um, there is uh, uh, sympathy and there is uh, sympathy for what they suffered, but not sympathy for what they inflict. And uh, we can't find a way out of that maze using psychology alone because all of those feelings are part of the ecosystem and very strong and which is valid and which is not, right? Which reflects truth uh, and, or not. Is, is, I, I found it's impossible to unravel without philosophy, right? Right. Um, it's interesting that you say that as well because um, I think you're right on target lately. And I find in moments when I am thinking about my brother in a sentimental way or in a longing, kind of a yearning to speak with him again, um, that's when I'm feeling a lack of philosophy. Like I've, I've turned, um, I've taken a, I've put a mask of my old self on temporarily. Like my philosopher is gone in time. Right, right, right. No, that makes uh that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, well, and, and the other, so somebody's just been a couple of questions uh, about the relationship between philosophy and psychology. Of course, that's a huge topic, so I'll, I'll just touch on it briefly here, uh, and then we'll go on. I haven't forgotten about your sibling. We'll go on with that. But um, the, the, the problem with psychology alone uh, is that, sorry, one sec. Sorry, just ordering a drink. <laughs> um, the, the problem with psychology alone is that using psychology alone, it is very hard for us to differentiate our true feelings from other people's needs, 
right? So, um, so you feel sympathy for your brother, uh, of course, because you knew him as a child and knew what he suffered. And if he has become a bad guy, and I use the term very loosely here, but just for the sake of brevity, if he's become an abuser as an adult, then he is going to really be invested in you continuing to see him as a victim without choice, right? Hello? Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. I wasn't demanding agreement. I was just wasn't sure if you, if you were still there. Okay. Right. So, so it's really uh, using psychology alone, uh, at least for me, it was not possible to get moral clarity, uh, uh, which is to say uh, fund fundamentally clarity about the future, right? Because emotions are all about the past uh, and, and philosophy and ethics are all about the future. And you just can't break free of the past using psychology alone. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, uh, one, one typical thing that can occur in families, right, is that you, you've got three siblings, right? And then the oldest one is a conformist, the youngest one is a shit disturber, and the middle one is the peacemaker, right? And so the uh, older one sides with the parents usually, and the younger one fights with the parents, and then the middle child tries to uh, make peace with uh, between everyone, right? And uh, let's say that you're the youngest kid. I mean, it's all stereotypical, but you know, let's just go with the stereotypes. If you're the youngest kid, then you're gonna you're gonna want to fight and sort of carve off a separate or newer identity. Uh, to authenticate and you have less to gain from conformity with the family but your parents want you to conform uh, and so does the elder sibling and the middle sibling is going to feel a lot of anxiety when you bring up something that is conflictual and something where there's conflict and so as the younger sibling you're going to feel a desire to rebel but you will also have within yourself a desire to uh, to not bring these topics up. Why? Because it will bring anxiety to your middle sibling, who is the peacemaker and wants to avoid conflict as much as possible. So you're going to have a desire to bring up stuff that may cause conflict, but you're also going to have a, a desire not to because that's the desire of your middle sibling. So separating our own desires from the desires that other people have is really tough. And I don't find that psychology can do that. Only UPB. Only UPB can do that. And um, uh, so, so to me, that's, that's why we need to bring philosophy in to break out of the self-referential circle of, of psychology. So uh, does, does, does that make any sense or is that way too abstract? I'm not saying does it help you with your brother, but does it sort of make sense as a possible theory? Hello? Oh, do we lose her? Oh, what a tragedy. Let's see. Hello? Can oh, you, are, you there? are you there? I am. I'm so sorry. Um, I was I was just going over kind of... I, you didn't hear me, but I was replying. <laughs> I was oh, good. To... Good to know. Um, <laughs> if I had heard you, what would I have heard? Well, you would have heard um, that my family shifted a lot. Um there were new family members coming and going due to marriages. So I, I played youngest, middle and oldest at different times. And my sister did the same and my brother did the same. And I find, I just find it really interesting and I could definitely apply that, um, 
those characteristics to all phases of my childhood and um, to those of my siblings. So I think that's really a, a powerful characteristics of each child's, um, you know, in, in their rank. I, I, I'm interested in maybe having a conversation with you about that more about the interworkings of the ranks of siblings. Yeah, I, I mean, I read a book uh, when I was much, much younger, gosh, I mean, about 20 years ago, about the power of birth order in personality, and I'll see if I can dig it up and whatever. But yeah, we can talk about that. Do you mind if we just keep plowing on with your brother? Yeah, not at all. Not Actually, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't mind. If you had anything more to say about it, that would be great, but... Um, Okay, well, and uh, this is all going to be really broad generalizations, so, um, you know, it's, it's pinch of salt time, but I still think that there's value in it. So, yeah, I'm going to make that caveat. I'm, I'm not going to do 12 million caveats a conversation because I find that is annoying to listen to afterwards, so uh, I'm not going to do that. I've just put the caveats up front. This is all just theory and blah, 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 right? Every abuser was a victim. Every abuser was at some point. A victim. I think we can all accept that as a, a good starting point, right? Yeah. Now, if a sibling becomes an abuser, the only difference between the sibling and the parent is we saw the sibling when the sibling was a victim, and we never saw the parent when the parent was a victim, right? Well, yeah. There's no difference other than, and it's a significant difference, right? But the only reason we're able to gain clarity with our parents before we gain clarity with our siblings, is that we never saw our parents as victims, but we saw our siblings as victims, right? Right. But that's the only difference. Now, if our parents are morally responsible, and again, I'm just talking about bad parents here, but if our parents are morally responsible for victimizing then our siblings as adults are equally morally responsible for victimizing. The fact that we saw them as victims is fundamentally irrelevant. It's emotionally relevant, but philosophically irrelevant, because we know for sure that the same damn thing happened with our parents, and yet we find it easier to come to moral clarity regarding parents than siblings, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it just it feels like a, a, mis a mystical kind of empathy, like a... Like for a parent, it's like, oh, I assume the worst happened to this parent. I mean, especially for my parent who I had to, I, she invoked empathy on all sorts of levels, crazy levels, um, with her children. But, um, with my, with my brother, it's kind of like black and white factual. It's like, I, I know. Sorry, it's black and white what? It's almost like the facts. Like I, I know them as facts. No, sorry, no what is facts? Um, the, uh, his experiences. Yes, you, 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 were, you were there. And you experienced, like, right. you guys were in the same trench being shelled with the same artillery, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think since I'm older, I feel uh, responsible for not protecting him. But I also feel like I could be his <laughs> empathetic witness, you know, his... Uh, <laughs> I mean, those are just, I believe that's irrational at this point. But, no, uh, no, but it's, it, it's a huge need. It's a huge desire. Right. It's a huge desire. I mean, again, sorry, I shouldn't say. 
it's it's been a huge desire for me, right? I mean, I for many years had these visions, vivid, tangible visions of pressing my forehead against my brother's forehead, and we would remember the past, and we would we would weep, right, mm. about what we endured because we were. You know, we were in the same trenches. We were being hit with the same shells. And we clung together sometimes back then. But that never happened for us as adults. Right? We could never put our foreheads together and weep about the years of loss and fear and pain, the anger and, and, and terror that we, we experienced. We could never be brothers in arms that way. But my need for that was, was, was huge, right? Because we've got, the society is built, it seems, fundamentally on rejecting the reality of child abuse. And for me, it's like, if, if, if the person who was there rejects it, then I have no hope of empathy from anyone. Does that does that ring true for you at all? Yes. I'm really emotional right now because I feel empathetic toward your situation as well. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, right now I just I see him like I consider how both of his parents are completely insane. He's only my half-brother, and I just, I know the types of addictions both of them have, and I just, my, my one hope for him was to never fall into an addiction. I'm just so scared that he will. He will fall into an addiction, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he already has, like, um, addiction to relationships and women. And um, he's, a, he's a master manipulator. And um, <sighs> it's so very hopeless to change people, I know. But I just don't know how long this is going to last. This, these feelings and I wish they I would go away <laughs> sorry which, uh, which feelings I wish they feelings. would go sorry which feelings feelings of um, worry and anxiety of him not succeeding and him, of him living in um, in depression it just suffering, basically suffering. Um, right. And obviously you, you don't want him to suffer, obviously, right? I mean, you, you do care about him. Yeah. Yes, it just... I just ask myself, why the hell do I even feel these things? He didn't... 
he didn't feel that I don't think he ever felt these things for me you know in, in my defu it was more of an insult to him rather than um, rather than curiosity I never got any curiosity well, what uh, what happened after you uh, took a break from your parents? What uh, what happened from from his side? From his side? Um, yeah, I mean, did he, he call? Did he email? Did he what? What did he ask? What was going on? Did he express any sympathy? Did he have any curiosity? He tried to email. He emailed me a few times. Um, really harsh stuff. He went into FDR chat room a couple times and. He was banned for um, basically stalking me. <laughs> um, and um, he was he, just very offensive. He, he had a very offensive attitude. He even bashed FDR. He posted, I, I replied, um, I replied to an email of his. And it was just questions like, why, why haven't you asked how I am or anything like that? I don't see any curiosity that you have any value in my well-being. And I asked him if he ever did. And then he posted that on MySpace. And it was just so offensive. And I decided not to talk to him again. Because, because I was proof enough, I think, that he didn't care about my well-being. He never apologized for, I mean, he, he did a lot of really mean things and mean-spirited things before I left. And, um, now he's sending me he sent me a letter saying i don't i don't care that you don't talk to me anymore i'm just going to keep telling you um what my life is like <laughs> so he's sending me updates on his life and i'm just you know that's really confusing to me <laughs> why i'm not just blocking him it's you know. Okay, well, um, when, whenever we're indecisive about things, then uh, it's usually because we have a best-case scenario or our, an ideal outcome that we're holding out for, right? And if that's not conscious, then you're going to stay stuck, right? So my ideal outcome, as I mentioned with my brother earlier, right? So we, we have an ideal outcome that we're holding out for, right? Like we, we only stay at the bus stop because we think a bus is coming, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. If, if someone comes along and says the bus stopped running here years ago, then we'll stop waiting at the bus stop because the best case scenario called "we'll get on a bus" isn't coming, right? Right. <laughs> so there's a bus. There's a bus down the road that you think is coming or might be coming that's keeping you at this bus stop, right? So what yeah. is the best case scenario? What would be ideal for you with regards to your brother? What would be the best thing that could possibly happen? 
best thing that could possibly happen is he opens up all the books that you sent him last year, reads them, <laughs> um, starts asking himself why um, he wasn't more empathetic to himself and to me. You know, basically adopting truth. And then um, changing his life and getting rid of our disgusting parents. And then what? And then be the brother that I want him to be. <laughs> I don't know. Just... Just right, but what, sorry, what would that mean? To be the brother that you want him to be, what would that mean? What would actually happen? What would he do? What would you do together? What would actually happen? He would apologize to me. He would um, try to... He would talk to me about our history. He would talk to me about our childhood. He would want to understand more about the things I did. And... And, and apologize for for not believing me when I when um, I told him that his father was an abuser right so he would he would validate the decisions that you've made right right Right. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna run you through a quick exercise here that's gonna seem kind of weird, but you know, trust me if you can. Uh, there's nothing weird about it, but I'm gonna give you uh, an exercise that I sometimes use when it really gets stuck, and this is really useful for for other people, I think. Okay. Now, what's the most money that you could conceivably scrape together by a couple of days from now? None. <laughs> well, you know, if you went into debt, uh -huh. you, you, you borrowed, you credit carded, you sold blood, you know, whatever, like $5,000, $1,000, $500. How much money could you conceivably scrape together just for a day? I, could, I would say $400. Okay, 400 bucks, right? So let me ask you this. Let's say that we're both betting people. We like to gamble. And, and I say... Okay, you give me that $400, and I will give you all the money you can scrape together. You give me that $400, and I will give you back $4,000 if your brother does what you want in the next month. Would you take that? No. <laughs> all right, okay. I will give you $4,000 back. Just give me this 400 bucks. go into debt, whatever, right? Right. Or just sign this this note saying you owe me four thousand you owe me four hundred dollars if your brother doesn't do it in the next six months, but I'll give you four thousand dollars if he does. Would you would you take that? No. No. And you understand you keep going until you would, right? So I say, okay, well, I, you give me $400 right now. I will give you $4,000 if he does it in the next year. I will give you $5,000 or $10,000 if he does it in the next year. 
what ratio, what risk and reward would make it worthwhile for you where you think you might get the money? Oh, man. Then it feels unpredictable. Well, it is unpredictable. That's why it's yeah. called gambling, right? But right. How, how much would I have to offer you over what time period for you to give me $400 right now? I I wouldn't be able to give that up. And it's interesting because $400 is a lot of money for somebody who defood. Oh, you know? I know. I, I hear you. It is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, right? <laughs> but yeah. if you could get it back in a month, $4,000, you'd find a way to make it happen, right? Right. I mean, I would, in order to do that, I would be sending, I would have to send podcasts to him. I would have to talk to him a lot. Oh, you could do, you could, look, to take this deal, you could do anything you wanted, but he would have to come around and he would have to apologize to you and he would have to stop doing the bad things that he's doing and he would have to accept the past and he would have to get into therapy. He would have to do all the stuff that you're doing to heal your soul for you to get the money back and you could you hey you can do anything you want you can drive over there you can move in with him whatever you want but he would have to he would have to do it for you to get the money and you couldn't bribe him mm -hmm. yeah well that makes that that changes everything so what how much money like what would it take for you to give up the 400 bucks would it, would it have to be $40,000 in a year? Like I'll give you $40,000 if your brother turns around in a year. You just give me $4, $400 now. Would you take that deal? Maybe two years ago I would, but not now. I, I... Okay, no, so, but you wouldn't take, your, your gut says not to take the deal right now, right? Yeah, because I got kind of sick when you said that. <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did. And this is why I say everybody knows everything. You know already what the odds are, right? right. right. So four, $400 versus $40,000 is what, a tenth of 1%? I don't know. <laughs> so you wouldn't even go with a 99.9% .9 of getting a thousand times the money over a year. This is how little chance you think it has of occurring. I, I'll, you know, I'll tell you that he is in therapy, and even that doesn't help me want to take that kind of a deal. All right. Now, let me, let me adjust this slightly and say that you can't, you can't do anything you want. You can only do what you've been doing for the past three months. In order to get this money, you can only do over the next year or two what you have been doing over the past three months, right? What that means is not speak with him and, and not... Yeah, not. just cross your fingers and wait, right? Yeah, and that also makes me sick. Right, because, I mean, the odds go down even more, right? If you're not... Because you're not doing anything to bring it about, right? And we judge our beliefs by our actions, not by our desires, not by our fantasies, not by our preferences, not by the alternate universe we live, we wish we lived in. We judge what we truly believe by our actions, not by our professed beliefs, right? Yeah. 
So if you want to know whether you have any hope, you look at what you're doing, not what you want or what you need, right? I mean, if you're watching, again, I've used this metaphor before, if you're watching some you're watching some ER show, some medical show, some surgical show with the sound turned off, right? And you see the doctors, you know, pulling out the defibrillator and thumping the chest and staring worriedly at the machine that goes ping, and you can't hear what they're saying. Do you think that they have hope that the patient might live? I'm sorry? Well, not if... Not if they show, you know, not if they don't show the, um, the heart rate. Thing. Well, no, but if, if they're still struggling to save the patient, do they have at least some hope that the patient might live? Oh, yeah. If they're struggling, right. yeah. Right. Whereas if you, if you see the, the sheet going up over the patient and all the doctors shuffling out of the room, do you think that they have hope that the patient will live? Yeah, that, that touches me because that is the thing that I fear the most, that if I do not choose to speak with, with him, then he'll pull the cover up over himself. But you're already not speaking with him. <laughs> right? So we're watching a silent movie called Your Hope for Your Brother. Right? And we're not seeing you take any steps. Right? Like we're seeing the doctors shuffle out of the ER and they pulled the cover up over the patient, we know that they don't have any hope that the patient is going to live because they've already pronounced the patient dead, right? Right. And they're leaving the room. So empirically, you don't have hope of this change. Empirically, right? Empirically, right? Again, we, we just go with the evidence, right? Yeah. Right. And I can tell you why I think you don't have hope. And this is where the moral clarity comes in, I think. And then, again, you can tell me if it makes any sense. Right. Do you think that there's a better resource, and let's just say a better free resource out there for, uh, you know, self-knowledge, truth, and, uh, and virtue than, than this uh, philosophy conversation, this, this podcast? Absolutely not. I don't think so either. Otherwise, I'd be working for them, right? So, right. so good. You and I agree about that, which is good, right? So, so y you you gave him the best resource that you found to become a better person. Let's say. Oh my God! I did. Yeah. So, what's Plan B if the very best resource that's free doesn't work? What's Plan B? What What happens next? He gets the second best. I don't. I don't know. He gets something that's not. That's that's not the absolute truth. Well, but uh, you, you kind of see if you really care about. I know you do, right? But if if someone really cares about philosophy and they think FDR is the best philosophical resource, and they send FDR to someone, and that someone says, "Patui, I spit on this podcast. I spit right. on the big chatty forehead. I spit on all of this. It's all nonsense." There's no plan B. Like, you don't send someone a kind of shitty podcast, right? And then say, well, okay, if you don't like that one, I'm going to send you the good stuff now, right? Mm, right, right. No, I you stand by it. the best thing you could send, the thing that yeah. works the best for you. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And he saw, he has empirical evidence that it worked for me. Yeah, he has empirical evidence that worked for you. Uh, yeah. you. You sent him the very best thing that you could send him. And I know that if he had struggled, you would have been there to help him. I certainly would have been happy to help him if he'd wanted. Right? So, so he had uh, resources. Wh whatever he wanted, he had resources. And the best resources that you could come up with and the resources that worked really well for you. Right? Yeah. Well, in my head now, this this person in my ecosystem who keeps doing this to me is telling me, why don't you have a conversation with your brother and Steph? And I mean, I could ask you for that if I really wanted to, but I don't I don't I don't think that's the way to go. No, because 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 there's nothing you don't know already and you need to learn to trust your instincts, right? Not me talking to your brother. Right. Right. You need to trust everything that you know. Like when I asked you this question about the, the gambling, right? You already knew that the odds were non-existent. Yeah. There's no amount of, of, of risk and reward that would make you give up the 400 bucks waiting for this change, right? Right. I felt sick before I... Yeah, by, by $400, right? Right. <clears throat> so you, you already know that there's no possibility of change. Right. I mean, that would be giving up my freedom, my security. That would be just as bad as going going to live with him and nursing him back to health, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Right. For sure. So, so the reason that you've been hesitating to have this call is that you don't need it. Because yeah. you already have all the information that you need. Right. Now, you have ambivalence, and look, I completely understand that, and I also completely respect that. As somebody who doesn't have ambivalence about sibling relationships, probably even the best ones, right, is, uh, is, a, is, is a robot or a liar, right? Yeah. Now, let me tell you what it's costing you to pursue this in your own mind. Because if you don't get the cost, right, then you, if you don't get that the potato is burning your hand, you won't drop it, right? Right. And, and, you're, and you mean just mentally th thinking about him or, or versus... Um, oh, no, it's more, it's, more than, it's more than that. It's more okay. than that. It's more than just mental. Okay. Look, if he's not responsible, you're not responsible, Right. If he's got nothing to be ashamed of, you have nothing to be proud of. Right? If he's got nothing to be ashamed of, then I have nothing to be proud of? That's right. Because you said at the very beginning, he's not responsible for who he's become, right? Right. If he's not responsible for who he's become, then you're not responsible for who you've become. So there was no reason for me to make my move to... I, I see what you mean. I see, then it's yeah, determinism, okay. right? How so? Well, if he's got no choice, you have no choice. You're a human being, right? He's a human being. 
you, you can't say all human beings are warm-blooded, but he's cold-blooded and I'm warm-blooded, but we're both human beings, right? Right. So if he's not responsible, then you're not responsible. If he's got nothing to be ashamed of, you've got nothing to be proud of. If he can't be judged negatively, you can't be judged positively. What you sacrifice is pride in your accomplishments. Respect for yourself. Joy in the challenges that you have faced down and begun to truly master. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... And I never had it before this, and I'm not gonna. I keep. I wouldn't want to live without the, all of those, all of those new parts of me now. And I'm gonna tell you, and I I, I appreciate your emotion, but I really want to keep making my points, if you don't mind, because <laughs> it's all about me and making my point, right? But if you don't mind, I just because I think the next part's really important. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not gonna get into a single shred of specifics because it doesn't matter. But you and I know, or at least up until somewhat recently, I don't know if it's still going on, that you were still inviting bad men into your life, right? Yes. Right, so you can't judge and reject abusers, right? At least you couldn't up until recently. Again, maybe it's changed, but if it has, it's changed despite this thing with your brother. That's been very difficult, but, um... Right. <sighs> Hold on just one sec, sorry. Right, so here's the other price that you pay. Is that if you can't judge and reject an abuser who is a sibling then how can you judge and reject other abusers? UPB happens whether we like it or not, right? Yeah, you're right. If you can't be proud in the amazing successes and progress that you've made, and it's staggeringly fantastic what you've done, in my opinion, if you can't be proud of that, and if you can't feel that you're better than abusers because you've made the choice to work hard, and made the sacrifice of immediate gratification for a better, happier, and more rational life. If you still have a soft spot for the bad guys, guess who'll keep showing up in your life? Because they can smell that stuff like blood in the water for a shock, right? Does this person have a soft spot for bad guys? You mean it's not psychological, right? You tried to get uh, you were tried to get that job, and there was that creepy guy, right? And then there was another creepy guy to do with the theater, right? And there was probably others. Yes. Are they all coming in through the hole that's still open with your brother's shape, right? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I'm trying to. Don't don't, don't apologize. The feelings are good, in my opinion. Right, because you're still reaching through this hole that's in the shape of your brother trying to grab someone. <laughs> on. 
And they all come pouring in, right? Like flood. And that's what it costs you. It costs you romantically, it costs you sexually, it costs you financially, it costs you professionally. It's a huge cost and it's not just psychological. For a lack of moral clarity and a lack of pride because we forgive bad people. He is responsible. And you are responsible. Yes. <laughs> he has stuff to be ashamed of, and you have stuff to be proud of. Yes. <laughs> and this hole in your heart where the evil people come in, it's time to close it, right? <laughs> yes. Right, your father, your husband, your brother, <laughs> lovers, co workers, bosses. They all come <laughs> in, right? Like Katrina, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, and don't keep throwing yourself underwater like this, right? The moral clarity comes from pride in the choices that you've made and the virtues that you have worked very hard and successfully to achieve. Right. And not to throw yourself back into the general soup of others who've done bad things and say, well, but they were victims. Well, you were a victim, and you changed. Right? And if you can change, they can change. And if they don't change, shame on them. And you have changed pride on you. Thank you. But you've got to climb out of the swamp here, the swamp of waiting for bad people to become the golden gods of virtue. Right? You understand this is not your desire. They want you to stay down there. They want you to stay in the swamp. Because if you stay in the swamp, hey, it doesn't look like a swamp because there's a good woman here. But if you leave, they suddenly notice that it's a swamp, that it's an underworld, that it's a layer of hell, right? Right. So they want you to stay. I'm saying leave, climb, get to a better place. Get to the place that you've worked for. Get to the place that you deserved. You worked very hard to earn a paycheck called virtue. Cash it in! And stop giving the money away to people who blow it. Wow. Holy shit. Oh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I like the first one better. That was good. Um... At some point, we just have to make a decision to leave the land of our beginning behind. Yeah. At some point, we have to, right? And this is a big fucking boat anchor keeping you there, right? Yeah. Well, that really, um, that really got to it. Thank you. How are you feeling? Um, I have a clenched fist for some reason. <laughs> Anger. I I feel. I feel um. I feel alive, and I I feel closer to my true experience of my fat my last year yeah. and growth in my relationship to FDR 
is clarified to me again. I have, I just have certainty. And, um, I, I think I didn't give myself enough credit for the pain I'd gone through. Sorry, could you just say that bit again? I hadn't given myself enough credit for the pain that I, I had gone through at the hands right. of my family, including my brother. <laughs> and I need that in order to protect myself. You do, you do, you do. You do, you do. You, and you've got to get used to protecting yourself. Well, you, you might become a wife and a mother someday. Yeah. Right. You can't have these people around your children, right? Right. So you've got to get ready <laughs> to protect the future brood, right? Right. Right. Everyone's oh, childproof your home, right? Yes, childproof your home. Yes. Put plastic into the electrical sockets. Tie up the cables. Put tie off the um, the bookcases and put fences on the top of the stairs. Absolutely, childproof your home, and that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Child proof your soul. Right. I I um I take from that podcast where you say, Would you speak to a child that way? When you're talking about how you speak to yourself like you're in your monologues. And I would not want to I would never want to put a child close to some of the people I've let close to me. Right, but you are. But I won't anymore because... Right, right. No, I under, and I, I hugely appreciate that, but it's important to recognize that that's what you are doing. Psychologically, you're throwing your inner child into a locked basement with your brother and saying, work it out if you can, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, there's not one person who came to the barbecue who I wouldn't feel comfortable babysitting Isabella, right? Because if, if there wasn't someone I felt safe coming into my house with my baby, they wouldn't come into my house. Right. There was a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. So there are a lot of good people out there. A lot of good people. Not so many that we don't still have to be a beacon of, of fireworks of virtue, right? Yeah. I don't know, it's not July the 4th, but up here it was like May, I don't know, two, two, May the 24th. There were all these fireworks, and we were showing Isabella the fireworks from our upstairs window, and we didn't know exactly where they were. These fireworks, they were going off in people's backyards, you know. You could tell roughly where they were and how far they were. Um, but it was, it was dark, and you could see these fireworks uh, randomly going off from the occasional house within the neighborhood. And during the day, if, if someone had said to me, uh, which houses have fireworks, I'd have no way of knowing, right? But at night, at night, I could see all of these beautiful lights firing into the sky, right? That's yeah. what we have to be. That's what we have to be. Proud. Virtuous, compassionate, strong, secure, protecting our inner childs. We have to be those people so that the fireworks of who we are 
are visible from space, let alone another neighborhood, right? Because there aren't so many good people that we don't need to shoot up flares so they can find us. <laughs> because everything that we do invites good or bad people into our life. Right? And the bad people who are in our head, who we're ambivalent about, are just big holes in the wall where anybody can come through, and usually not good people, right? So, yeah, there are virtuous people in the world, but they're rare enough that we have to be uh, very good ourselves and very confident ourselves in virtue in order for them to find us. Yeah. And here's the last little bit that I'll give you. You know, if, uh, if I've spent a lot of time waiting at a bus stop and I finally decide to, to buy a car, right? Ah, I want to take Mississauga Transit up here. It's terrible. Like buses come every hour or something. It's wretched, right? So I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to buy a car, right? Am I still going to keep phoning up Mississauga Transit and saying, is the bus coming? No. No, I, I've already got a car. I don't need to do that, right? Right. So, if Mississauga Transit wants my business back and wants me to give up my car, what have they got to do? They got to go to you and, and prove a case that it's going to be a lot more beneficial for you to... Yeah, they've got to work like shit to bring me back. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I'm just not going to sit. I've got a car. I'm not going to sit there and just stand at the bus stop. Complaining. Yeah, they do got to. Yeah, they do have to work extra hard. Right. Yeah. You know, if, if I find a loogie on my pizza, <laughs> I better get some free goddamn pizzas before <laughs> I go back. Right. Yeah. They got to work hard to bring me back. Yeah. And, and the fact that nobody was curious as to why the girl left the family it's because they know why right I mean, yeah they know why and they know why and they don't want to admit it right so yeah. rather than sitting there thinking oh what can i do to save my brother right say mm -hmm. i wonder what my brother would have to do to win me back <laughs> yeah right no this is serious this is a very important switch in perspective mm -hmm. it's essential Because you've got a car called philosophy, right? You don't need to take the bus. You don't need to sit there and wait for a bus, cross your fingers and hope, right? Especially when there's three skeletons and 12 million cobwebs on the bus stop, right? And, this, and the seat. <laughs> right? So rather than say, oh, my brother, how can I help him? And just like, you know what? I'm pissed off. I, he treated me badly. Yeah. He'll, he'll have to work like... He'll have to work like a Turk to get me back, right? I don't know if Turks work hard, but, it, you know, kind of... <laughs> It rhymed, I guess. Right? How are they going to win me back? How are they going to win me back? I mean, my whole family, right? I mean, I'm a phone call away, right? And they don't want to win me back. And that's all I need to know. Thank God I didn't waste my life hanging around people who won't lift a goddamn finger to stop me from walking out the door. How pathetic.
pathetic would that have been? How sad would that have been? That's not a relationship. I'd be a stalker. (laughs) Yeah. Am I worth any effort to keep around? Am I worth any effort to keep around? I know that Christina would do a hell of a lot to keep me around. Yeah. I know that uh, people donate money to me to keep me around, right? So that I can keep doing this, right? I know that people will come from thousands of miles away Mm -hmm. for some bad sandwiches and good conversation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know they care, right? Mm I know if the server uh, for FDR goes down for 30 seconds or the chat room is down, I hear about it. People care, right? Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question quickly? Growing up, did you experience this this filter or did your brother or anybody else um, have this filter where it was like, I'm not allowed to show that I care. Uh, I care, but I'm going to go about it in a weird way because they're not going to, they're not going to. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, when I wanted to tell my brother I loved him, I didn't think it was possible just to say I love you. Like I had to like do something weird. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I mean that, that was exactly my experience and I'm sure the experience of most people, right? Yeah, it's like you can't hit it on the head or else you're going to chase it away. It's like you can't say certain things or else they're like, why do you have to say that? Or, right, they get embarrassed, right, and they feel weird, right? Yeah, but I've never been more proud since I became acquainted with FDR to tell a friend that I love them just because they're virtuous, you know, or to tell a friend how much I appreciate their conversation or just just to be completely like straight up you know yeah but but you have an instinctive true self which means the reason that you had trouble saying i love you to your family was because because they uh, oh Oh, come on oh you know this because they were virtuous right i couldn't love right Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it was the same in relationships. Right. Okay. Right. I, yeah, I mean that's like, that. you know, me saying I have I have tough time getting the kind of center part that I want. <laughs> right. <That's-> <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I just can't get it to curl over the way that I want, right? Because I have a reverse mohawk and that's what I that's my cross to bear, right? But but because uh, it's not possible, right? right? Right. Right. Gotcha. Right. So you, even then, you felt hesitation about saying I love you to people that you didn't and couldn't love. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's the instinctive true self that flowers in the face of philosophy and self-knowledge. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. That's very cool to see from here. Right. Oh, boy. <clears throat> and to think you were just going to type a little question, right? <laughs> yeah, tell me about your brother. Well, I was curious how long this was going to go on for. <laughs> but Well, I'm, I'm trying. I mean, it's going to go on, right? I mean, this conversation is not going to erase everything in terms of ambivalence, but I hope it at least puts some clarity on it. It might be one. I'm just trying to help it. I'm just trying to help help speed it up, right? So it doesn't take eight years for you as it did for me or seven years or whatever, right? But as well, what it's helping me do is is to make my case stronger. But I mean, I've been pretty isolated. So, I mean, I, I mean, not isolated. I, I do talk to people regularly, really meaningful people I talk to regularly. I mean, like in my day-to-day -day stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. And I just started working again full time and I've kind of been worn out and it's like um trying to challenge myself all the time. Not very empathetic, you know. Um, in a physical working sense. Right. You know, like Yeah, it, <laughs> and it is a weird it is a weird perspective, right, to go from who will accept me to who will I accept. Right. It is a weird perspective for those of us who grew up as needy and lonely and dependent and wanting children, right? Where all we did was we focused on what we what what other people needed and what we could get as scraps off that table, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's right? Beggars totally can't be different. choosers. Beggars can't be choosers, and so uh -huh. many of us grew up beggars, right? Yeah, don't look a gift horse in the mouth and all that stupid right. crap. Right. Right. And so it's a weird perspective to say rather than who will accept me to go from asking that question to who will I accept? Man, that I saw that in my latest interview process in my last one, the one that I got. You should have, I wish you were there, man. You should have seen me in that interview. <laughs> oh, what it happened? Was, it was awesome. He was the interview guy, the interview guy, my new boss. <laughs> he was, he was asking me, so why should we hire you? And I was just, I was like, well, because I'm very, res I'm responsible. I take things seriously. You know, I'm accountable. Like all these great things I never was able to say about myself before FDR. And right. And now you see there's there's one more question to ask. Right. Right, because he says, Why should I hire you, right? Why should another question hire is me? why should I accept a job offer from you? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Why should I work for you? What what's the benefit to me, right? I mean, other than the obvious, right? Right. Other hey, whatever money um but I, I i have to say they he did open up that avenue for me to ask those type, kinds of questions and i did um although it wasn't my initiation you know but um i was able to tell them what i expected to be paid and i shot a little high and they they even went higher because of my interview. Right. That's the, I mean, that's the investment in philosophy paying off in a very real sense, right? Mm 
right? Thank you so much for that. Oh, listen, I mean, I appreciate that. And I, I fully accept your thanks. But, um, but you have I just could... been a huge inspiration for a lot of people in this conversation. I know that. And, uh, you know, where you came from to where you are is is uh, is fantastic. Thank you. I, I mean, remember back at the beginning where you, you couldn't type because your husband was irritated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it I, seems like 12 planets away, right? It does. <laughs> I didn't think I was even going to be able to support myself. Right. Doing it. Right. Right. And all I'm trying to offer you here is the additional gift of more self-protection, because I know that that's mm -hmm. still something that, that's a struggle. And, and it's a struggle for me, right? It's not like I did such a great job of self-protection with the media, right? So it's, it's a struggle. Right. So so I'm just trying to, you know, maybe one half a step ahead in this area, trying to offer uh, a few a few bits of wisdom, because that's, I think, where uh, where your challenge is. Right. Because that's where your refood still keeps keeps arising. Yeah, it, <clears throat> that's something that I'm going to bring into therapy tomorrow. That's a really that's good because there's a connection with sexuality, with these refoods. And then my brother's involved in it somehow. And, you know to figure out, I think there's a root there that has... Sure, I mean, it's, there is a parallel, right? There's a parallel in sexuality where instead of saying, who do I want, it's like, who, who wants me, right? Right, and then, oh, they want me, and then it's like, how, how can I make it, how can I be more appealing? How can I be appealing all the time? How can I never stop being appealing? Right, right, and, and it goes back to how can... Uh, uh, how can people want me without exploiting me? Right. How can I be desired without being used, right? That's a huge question, particularly for women when it comes to sexuality. Because, I mean, women want to be sexy. They want to be attractive. They want to be wanted, right? Obviously, right? And men do too, right? We were just talking about women. But, but, uh, but at the same time, that's, uh, uh, that's not the extent, right? Women want to be desired, but they don't want to be used, right? And, and that, of course, is... That is the challenge, and uh, it comes from, I think, being confident in your own attractiveness and then saying, well, <laughs> who gets to enter these here pearly gates rather than who's interested, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, are you, uh, are you strong enough to be my man, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But are you good enough to be my man? Are you good enough for me to, right? Because, I mean, I mean, sex for women, and a million times more so for men, is an incredibly physically vulnerable experience, right? And uh, that that level of protection, I think, is is something that that women, I mean, particularly attractive women like yourself, really need, right? To to have that kind of security in sexuality without feeling like, you know, you, you're spending your whole life either acquiescing to or pushing back the trolls who come in through these holes in the wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I only the um, the only female image you know I had was this very cheap kind of uh, philandering mother um, never never knowing exactly why these men were coming into the home I mean and never never really understanding what she saw in them or what they saw in her so 
Right. And so your real mother was exposing you to bad men as a child and your inner mother is doing it to you now as an adult, right? And I'm just saying, have that clarity. The right. real defu comes when we leave not just the physical, <laughs> but the, uh, the psychological family behind, right? Exactly. Those ghosts that you talk the about. ghosts. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want? I mean, we, we've, we've covered some ground, right? As we, as <laughs> we, we usually do, you and I, when we have these talks. But is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention just now? Are you feeling okay? I'm feeling great, yeah. Uh, that's it. I just want to say thank you. Oh, you're welcome anytime. I mean, uh, you are a complete hero with this stuff. And uh, knowing in particular where you came from, uh, it's, it's hugely great what you're doing. And this is, again, as I've said before, and I'll say again, this is how we save the world. Right. It's it's decision by decision, it's clarity by clarity. And uh you are to be hugely commended for the work that you're doing. And uh you should be enormously proud. And I can't give that pride to you without giving the condemnation to your brother. And I think you should accept that as well. Yeah. So do I. Yes, most definitely. Thank you. Right. Well, thank you everyone so much. I'm not gonna try and follow up with another question, but thank you so much for a, a fantastic uh, call. Um, thank you for coming up with a great uh, question. Sibling stuff is uh, very powerful and well worth working out uh, with a therapist. So uh, I hope you have a great therapy session tomorrow. I hope you all had a wonderful week. Thank you, everybody, again, so much for coming up this last weekend. And we hope to see most, if not all of you, if not more of you, at Christmas. All the best. Steph is with the out. <laughs>